When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn State Health. That's Bob Flounders. I am Dustin Hawkinsmith. We are talking some Penn State football, and this is pretty good timing, Bob, because we actually had some fresh interviews. A lot of guys that you weren't able to talk to uh, last year got a chance to get to know them a little bit, so we'll touch on them. We'll get into the Penn State Auburn kick time, the speculation about who Penn State's whiteout opponent might be, and a little bit of recruiting. But I did want to start just with uh, your takeaways from this group of redshirt freshmen slash sophomores that you got a chance to to know. And what better place to start than Christian Bayou, the, uh, the redshirt freshman quarterback who really seems like a pretty relaxed and confident kid. He is. All the way through it, you can just tell some kids – uh, are a little bit different than other kids. And you really want to see that from a quarterback, right? Because they're in the pretty crazy position to begin with. They got to stand up in in really tough situations. He himself was put into a really unique situation last year, Dustin, when Penn State's, you know, two-thirds, not two-thirds, but over half of the team late in the season had some variation of the flu. It, it went through the whole, almost the entire team, they had a lot of key personnel missing for a game. I think it was November 20th at home against Rutgers. And Rutgers is kind of scrappy. So Penn State was at the point in their season where they were really trying to scrape together wins. They, they you know, the, the bloom had come off the rose. People were wondering, well, could they conceivably even be a six and six team? And so the game was, you know, Rutgers was Rutgers hadn't done well against Penn State in a while. So, you know, when, when word began to spread, you can you were starting to wonder just what could this Penn State team do? Uh, Sean Clifford started the game, but did not last very long. He was definitely under the weather. Uh, Veyu, I think, just got cleared <laughs> to play in the game. And uh, it was it was his first real uh, meaningful snaps. He didn't play for the Bullis School in 2020 because of the COVID uh, pandemic. So really, he hadn't played since 2019. So not an easy spot. And, you know, after a couple series, he finally started to kind of lock in a little bit. And he threw three touchdown passes, one of them. Uh, a long one to Malik Mega, but as the game went on, you could see him settle in, and it, he seemed very unfazed. He talked about that uh, yesterday because he hadn't played in a while, and he said, "You know what? I'm I'm just a confident kid. If you're not if you're not confident, you really can't play the quarterback position." And you know, he's definitely got a he's got a live arm. He doesn't seem to get rattled, and uh, he's got a lot of personality to him. Some teammates said during spring practice that he's not afraid. 
to try and fit the ball into a tight window. Now, maybe Mike Yersich doesn't want to uh, hear that, but he's he's. I think he's got the arm to do it, Dustin. And Joe Herman, the pen line photographer, has a, has a picture of him. Uh, he was scrambling to go out of bounds, and he lost his balance. He went into the air, but he knew he was gonna he was gonna be out of bounds before the Rutgers guy could hit him. So he flashed him the peace sign. <laughs> so just as he was going out of bounds, I asked him about that. He's like, you know what? Uh, there's probably a lot of things I could have done better, but I saw how cool the picture came out, so I had no problem at all with it. But I really – there's something about this kid. I know they have a talent quarterback room, but I, I just think, feel like if anything happens to Sean Clifford this year, I think Veyu is is a guy that now that he's in another year with the system, is a guy that they can really compete with. And who who knows how long it's going to take the freshman to kind of get up to speed. But I think Veyu is, is a much more inviting uh, option, Dustin, that Taquan Roberson was at the start of last year. Well, I do want to ask you about that because I had this conversation uh, actually a little earlier in the week of between Iowa and Rutgers, what might have changed with the Penn State coaching staff that they saw this in Bayou. May, I, I felt like the two events were related that because of the way Iowa went, Bayou started to look better and better in the coaching staff's eyes as the season went on. But you know, this idea of intangibles at the quarterback position. Like, I, I do feel like Sean Clifford could use a little bit of Bayou's more natural relaxation and confidence. Uh, it's something that, you know, there's a lot of phases in life where you can fake being confident. I don't think playing quarterback, you can fake that or talk yourself into it. You either have that or you don't. That's going to, that really makes him a wild card both in 2022 and as you kind of look ahead to how this quarterback competition is going to play out. Like, if the coaching staff knows that he's not going to be phased by big moments, that's going to be an interesting thing for these freshmen to have to overcome. I do agree. And I think going back to last year, honestly, and it sounds terrible to say it, this is just my opinion. I just think that Penn State's offensive coaches, so Yersich and James, they put all their eggs into the Clifford basket in year one. And I just think that the way that they they work the reps, uh, once they, did, they deemed that uh, Roberson, who had been on campus longer than Veyu, was going to be the number two guy in theory. Veyu got no reps, like no, probably no reps once, once you know, late August practices started to roll around. Roberson got some, but not not enough. And and because Sean was learning a new offense, they gave all of them, I think, to Sean. So in the Iowa game, when he went out, it was almost by default they went to Roberson. And I think the more they saw of Roberson in, in those situations, he just really struggled to make plays. Dustin, the other thing that hurt him was he does not have a commanding presence. Um, he, you know, Veyu is not exactly a loud talker either, but you, we had to struggle after the game to actually hear what Roberson was saying. And that was with no crowd at Kenning Stadium. So uh, there were times in that game where the, I think Penn State false started three times in a row. I don't think they could ever hear Roberson. And I think after that game, I think Penn State had a bye week and then they played Illinois. I think that they they started to take a longer look maybe at Veyu. They got some more reps to see what Roberson could do. And they just really didn't see any separation between the two. Considering Roberson had been on campus longer, I think that was that set off like, you know, that set off uh, the fire alarms and then – by the time the Rutgers game rolled around, I think they said, look, I think we got to go with a guy that does not seem to get rattled and maybe can make some more throws and has done it in practice. And really, I think it was an admission 
that they they picked the wrong backup quarterback. I know that's that's not that's 2021 news, but it does also speak to how quickly Veyu kind of kind of seized the moment. The minute the door the minute the door cracked open, I think he was able to kind of really to to make some plays, and he made some plays against Rutgers. Rutgers isn't that bad of a defense, and you know in the second half he was much better. But it just still really makes you wonder what the heck happened there in the 2021 season. <laughs> yeah, you can ask that question in a number of ways about what the heck happened in 2021 and 2020. Uh, but we're not really here to do that. Uh, but you, I would say, you know, really promising uh, debut. But I would kind of liken him to that starting pitcher who gets that surprise starting nod and has a great slider and can pitch seven strong innings. You know, he's going to have to be able to compete pitch a complete game and the scouting report's going to be out on him. There's going to be adjustments to it. There's a lot still left to author in that story, but there is some promising stuff with Bayou. How about um, Zaki Wheatley? You know, I, I, the, my, my takeaway from him is that, you know, his experience being a, a legitimate college prospect at multiple positions is what's kind of driving the train here as he moves from cornerback um, to safety and looks to be doing a pretty good job early on and, and, and should be an impact guy. You know, physically, like I said, this is really so for for the fans, this is really the first time we've actually even had any chance to be close to these guys. It sounds weird, but Penn State's kind of got a a policy that you cannot talk to true freshmen at all or really be around them. And, you know, in practices, you only get to see them in very, very limited doses during the season. The availabilities are not that long. So this, you know, he was he was made available and we were, you know, you could actually see him with his helmet off and you could actually hear him talk. I just was uh, stunned by actually how uh, impressive a specimen he is. He, they li- they're going to have to revise their roster. <laughs> they list him at 6'2", like 192. I'm looking up at him and everyone else is saying the same thing. He's at least 6'3". Um, and that's really, really impressive size for a defensive back. He's a little lanky actually. He could probably gain 15 pounds and you wouldn't really you wouldn't really know it, but the com- the combination of him playing corner and safety at this Maryland high school and then, you know, spending the first year at corner at Penn State. I think it's going to bode well for him at safety because Penn State at times has had some safeties that have not been able to cover at all. Um as good as Marcus Allen was, when he was at Penn State, he was a hitter. He was a thumper. He was a really, really good in run support. You know, Jonathan Sutherland is actually going to be moved up to outside linebacker this year. And James Franklin's made the comment: the closer is it he is to the line of scrimmage, I think the better he plays. There's a lot of a lot of things you could read into that statement, but I think that I think Penn State's coaches feel like he's maybe a little bit better in run support. So they need some guys. You know, they need some guys who could cover at safety. It's that's the way the game's going. You know, you have to be able to cover if you want to stay on the field. Uh, this guy, to me, <laughs> he he just looks very impressive. He's another confident kid. He had a great spring. He made some nice plays in the blue white game. And James said they have four safeties. They think they think they could play with. Uh, they have another on the way. I think from Lackawanna the Lackawanna pipeline, but we're talking about obviously Tig Brown. We're talking about Wheatley. We're talking about Keith Nellis, another guy who's got cornerback experience. And we're talking about Jalen Reed. But the more I watched uh, Wheatley in, in practice during spring and the more I listened to him, I'm not so sure that by the end of the year or by mid season, he might not be really pushing hard to be maybe, 
the second best safety on the team. And that's nothing against Keaton Ellis and it's nothing against Jalen Reed. I think they can both play, but this guy has, it looks like he might have a chance to be a, a little bit more than just, you know, a young player. He could be a guy that really uh, makes an impact early in his career, but he's tall. Yeah. The, 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 the length thing. And that's, a, I mean, it's a good thing. Like, I don't think it's a liability. You know, I think this, this became a talking point during the NFL draft, for example, with Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. Is there such a thing as being too tall for safety? I don't six, I don't think six, three or six, two is it, but for somebody who has played the wide receiver position at a high level, no, you know, and this is one thing that he kind of said yesterday was um, understanding what wide receivers are looking for and, and saying that patient safeties can frustrate wide receivers, being able to kind of apply himself in that way. I mean, and Penn State coaches, they have the ability, you know, with the skill sets of these guys to mix and match based on situation or, or pair them up in, in ways that their strengths might be able to complement each other. Wheatley is different in addition to being a pretty talented kid. And um, I think that bodes well for him to, to play early and maybe see that role grow as the season goes. Yeah. The other one other guy that really jumped out to me, and it's not going to surprise you, Dustin, but just having another year in the program, another year uh, where he played down the stretch and really had success and another year in the conditioning program, Boy, Kalen King looks good. He looks like he's uh, he's got that college corner body now. You know, college corners, even if they're under six feet, they are not small. They're just short. You know what I mean? There's a difference. He is there. He's he is built to be a college corner now. It looks like he added some really good uh, weight and strength. But I was so impressed with him the last month of last year. He talked about it. He got humbled a little bit last year when he enrolled early. I think in spring practice by Jahan Dotson. But he didn't run from it, and he said, you know, after that moment, there were some plays where he got a little bit the better of Jahan Dotson, who's, you know, was a first-round pick, one of the great Penn State wide receivers of the last, you know, two, three, you know, three, four decades. So, you know, it was tough love, I think. But if he could, if he could hang with Jahan Dotson and even Parker Washington, you know, other than maybe the Ohio State wide receiver room, there's no one that you're going to see in the fall that's going to be any better than that. So. If he's healthy, if I if I had to pick a sure thing on defense for somebody to go from contributor to impact starter this year, it would be Kalen King. I just think that he he he's very comfortable in his own skin, very talented player, and he's not going to back away from anyone. I, and he can handle himself in interviews. Very impressive kid. Looking forward to seeing him play in the fall. Uh, good experience for him to get humbled a little bit because no matter how good you are, you are going to get humbled as a cornerback at some point in time. And the experience of being able to bounce back from that. One thing that kind of, you know, James Franklin and the coaching staff last year talked about how far along he was from a football IQ standpoint. I think that plays. Uh, but he was just kind of saying, you know, all the things that you can take for granted when you're by far the most talented kid on a field versus now, you know, this is one of the learning ex- experiences of freshmen. I think Landon Tangwall has similar things to say uh, this week too, just about, you know, not being able to over, overpower everybody as he makes this transition to guard. And he also said that uh, getting some bowl practice um, at guard was a big step for him in, in that transition. What do you expect? For, he is a really interesting kid and I could listen to him talk. Uh, I interviewed him last year around this time, you know, and he has a lot of interesting things to say. I think he's got a future in broadcasting, but right now Penn State fans would love it if he can just block somebody. He is a, he is a large human and he he carries 330 pretty well. He said he's actually 320. I think they listed him at 330. 320 every bit of 66 what they list him at and 
exactly what you said is correct. You know, when you're when you're that big and you're that athletic, you're going to play left tackle in high school. You're just going to play it, and you know, eighty percent of your games, you're just going to manhandle whoever they put in front of you. And it's an adjustment, you know, when you come to Penn State, you know, and you're you know, hey, this, hey, my name's Arnold Ebiketti. Let's see how you can do with me one on one at pass drills, or hey, I'm PJ Mustafer. Let's go one on one in the pit. Good luck with that. So. I think it. I think especially for offensive linemen, it's it's not only the physical adjustment, but it, it's just the physical adjustment to the guys you're playing against. And it's it's probably t- you can probably get spooked a little bit and humbled even even more than Kalen King did. But I think the bowl practices really helped him. I think actually that Rutgers game, uh, I, Rasheed Walker couldn't go for whatever reason, and he played a lot of left tackle in that game. I think that helped him. And now the adjustment is. He's going to play guard. So I think he feels a little bit better about that, Dustin, because he said you're closer to the guy you're going to try and block, and there's not as much room where he can maybe get by you if he's a quick athlete. So I think he feels pretty comfortable there. Like he got a lot of reps at guard, and it might just be his best position all along. I know he's a versatile player that could probably, in a pinch, play four different positions on the offensive line for Penn State, but he's going to have to be – a guy that Penn State can count on because there's just not that many viable options right now on the offensive line that they can trust. And you, other than Juice Scruggs, we still don't know what Hunter Norzad's going to be, you know, by the middle of September, even though he did really well at the FCS level as a guard. Salim Worley's coming off a, another guard prospect is coming off uh, an injury plagued 2021 season. So, if they want to improve their running game, if they want to score more than 25 points a game, if they want to be able to hang with, uh, you know, put up points against Ohio State, an Ohio State team that's probably going to score in the 30s on them, you know, that the offensive line is going to have to deliver. And it, even though he's a second year player, they're, they're going to have to be they're going to have to be really ready to go, I think. And it will help that they play some good teams early on the road uh, for for the later part of the schedule. But. Sometimes you don't wonder how people are going to react if they have a bad experience on the road early, but he, the pedigree is there for Landon Tengwall. Um, I think it's just I'll, I think the more reps he gets, further he goes into his career, the better he's going to be. Coming out of high school, you know, he was so polished from a physical standpoint. I just didn't see a lot of fluid athleticism to ask him to move from side to side a lot, and I think he he could hold up there, but I think for sure. Short term and long term, I, I don't think this. I don't think this is ideally a temporary move for him. I, th- I think you could see him be probably an impact guard. And I don't know what, what's your thinking. Do you think um, program wise, you sink or you, you commit and sink or swim on on Tangwall at, at guard and and commit to him early? Like, like I think that's the best move personally. Yeah. So what I, what I, my thinking is that in a perfect world. They evaluated Hunter Norzad correctly, and they assume that by the end of August, he's going to be one of your guards. That I think they plan for Tangwall to be the other guard, and maybe it'll set it'll 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 just it'll just show up in practice sessions. I think they do still like Wormley, but maybe one of the reasons they liked Wormley last year was that Landon was a true freshman, and he was still trying to get comfortable in the program, whereas Wormley was, I think, had at least a year or two experience on him. But that can flip in a hurry once a really talented kid starts to figure it out at the offensive line position. So I think Penn State wants three guards they can play. 
Um, I think they want Landon Tengwell definitely to be one of them. And I think you're bringing Hunter Norzad in for one year. I think if you're going to do that and if you're Hunter Norzad, you have a pretty good understanding that it might, as long as you're healthy, one of those guard spots is your, is your job to lose. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Switching topics quick, just the, on the recruiting front, not a lot of big news coming, but uh, Rodney Gallagher, who's a four-star athlete slash wide receiver from Laurel Highlands High School, uh, the writing seemed to be on the wall for the past seven to ten days or so that West Virginia was making a move for him. West Virginia, now remember, is, I don't know, about half an hour or so from his high school, so it's... It's not like he's going far from home, and I think that plays a part here. But Gallagher is a really talented, uh, explosive athlete, and I think Penn State wanted him. You know, we never really knew exactly how much he might have wanted Penn State. He had a top eight. Um, I love top eights. I love top 16s. I, 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 I love all that stuff. But, you know, I think uh, it's not a huge shock just with the way things were going. Penn State will remain in pursuit. Uh, he he kind of said that he wanted to be – part of building a new future for the West Virginia program. And I think that that's fair, you know, to build a new tradition around, you know, a guy, Neil Brown, who's a second year coach. They went six and seven last year, but there were some encouraging things along the way and they seem to have some momentum going, you know, tough break here for Penn State, but a, it's not over yet. And, uh, and B, I, I don't think they lost out for hollow reasons. I think he, he really liked, um, he really liked what West Virginia had to offer. And we'll see how the season plays out. And if Penn State can maybe make a move between now and December, but Gallagher is the number two player in Pennsylvania, a top 100 guy overall. So it stings, but, uh, it's not like Penn State's hurting in 2023 recruiting. Yeah. And, uh, they've been, you know, Penn State's been pretty good. Even since James Franklin, uh, you know, at first got here, not all of them have panned out for a variety of reasons, but they've been pretty good at getting every year talented wideouts on campus, whether they're big, whether they're small. I mean, the, the trend used to be Dustin, he wanted nothing but big wideouts, right? He had, if you, if you look at his early recruiting classes, they were all, they were all, you know, small forwards or they were all, you know, they could all, they all look like they could play basketball. As well, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 220, 225. But, you know, they didn't all they didn't all pan out, even including a five star uh, Justin Shorter. But, you know, lately they've had some success with some guys that maybe don't have that body type. Jahan Dotson is certainly not a big receiver. Parker Washington's not small. He's just built a little low to the ground, but he's not he's not going to be a guy that wins a lot of contested catches. Caden Saunders is another guy. K.J. Hamler is another guy. So I think I'm confident in Penn State's recruiting that even if they miss out on a talented kid, an in-state kid, they're still going to, in every recruiting class, get two, three, four uh, really, really athletic players' bodies to campus. And then it's 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 the coaching staff and the strength and conditioning staff's job to kind of develop them. And then it's, it's the offensive coordinator's job to assess which one's ready to play right away and to get them involved in the offense. Young talent, not currently a problem in that Penn State 
uh, wide receiver depth chart. You know, that's a, that, that's a position that's in pretty good shape. And certainly, you know, I, I think they've been so committed to getting three or four guys in the past few cycles. You know, it's in good shape for a reason. Uh, I don't think it's an urgent position in the 23 class to address it just for position sake. But uh, Rodney Gallo is a good, a good player. Uh, Penn State will remain in pursuit. A couple other items here. Penn State, Auburn, 3.30 Eastern time kick. Uh, I saw Mark Wogenrich uh, reported that, and I, I never even thought to think about this, but uh, Penn State playing on CBS for the first time in two decades. Uh, it's an interesting little little side note. Yeah, I saw that, and I remember. I actually remember, I think I saw the game. It was a Pitt-Penn State game, and I, I don't know if it was at Beaver Stadium or it was out in Pittsburgh, but I think it was Pitt-Penn State, and it was, or it was 2000 or 2000. I think it was 2000, but yeah. No one really, because of the way that the conference affiliations are, no one really remembers that I think there was a a scenario where those two teams could have met, you know, Uh, that was pre-Big Ten Network and and all that other stuff. And But yeah, to to go that long without playing on CBS, so I'm guessing 330 kick at Auburn, maybe maybe Gary Danielson will get to call uh, a Penn State game. I don't know. I don't know what his schedule is like on that day, but... I'm sure the Auburn fans, and I think you, we talked about it, wanted that game for a night game. As, as somebody who has to work on deadline, I'm not brokenhearted uh, about that at all. But it, I am curious to see what's going to be Penn State's whiteout game in the fall because uh, with Fox kind of on record as being like, we want our we want our marquee games in that noon window. Um, and if I think they have their hands on Penn State, Ohio State this year at Beaver Stadium. So that looks like a no to me. So I think Penn State, either Penn State is going to have to move the whiteout game to to a really early start, which isn't the same. Or they're going to have to think about maybe Minnesota as the whiteout game. I'm sure the fan base isn't that upset, but I'm, there's always some people on Twitter moaning about that. I think I remember a whiteout game that was played during the day. I didn't think it was awful. I think Penn State and Alabama played in a whiteout game in 2011. That was, uh, I think I'm right, in the in the afternoon. It was a later kick. But if it's a noon kick, it's hard to get geared up for a whiteout that early in the day. Yeah, there's there's going to be a compromise one way or the other. Either you're not playing your, your best home opponent uh, in front of a whiteout crowd or you're not playing at night in front of a whiteout crowd. And the question is, you know, which concession would you want to make? And that's a, that's a tough one. You know, if I, if I were personally choosing, boy, I, I don't know what's re- like, you know, on one hand, Penn State fans will be excited for a whiteout no matter who it is. They could play Ohio at, at, at night or whatever in, in, in front of a whiteout and everybody would come out and want to be a part of that. Um, on the other, you know, the, the optimal opponent would obviously be Ohio State. How does that play? At noon, I, I don't know. I mean, if you had to choose one way or the other, which way would you go? I, I'd probably go. I'd probably go night over opponent personally. I don't think. I don't think Ohio State's uh, coaching staff and players would be too upset if the if it was a if it was a noon whiteout because the whiteout atmosphere. It's, it's it's there's a lot of things that work. First of all, it's an incredible atmosphere. It's also let's let, let's not lose track of the fact that. Uh, fans have had a little bit more time to get into the game when it's at 7.30 at night. And the crowd's a little bit more fervent, I think, would be a, a way to describe it for a night kickoff. So I, I think it does, from maybe from a, a, an intensity standpoint, I don't know. I have not seen, Dustin, a lot of Penn State noon crowds really super excited. Now, maybe that's because maybe a lot of those noon games are not playing 
they're not really playing great teams. They're either playing non-conference teams that are three or four touchdown underdogs, or they're playing Big Ten teams that they're just expected to handle. Um, so Ohio State traditionally has played very well in whiteout games at Penn State, by the way. Even the game that Penn State won, I thought Ohio State had them in the fourth quarter. They were up uh, fairly big, and Ohio, uh, Penn State made a big rally. I think the game's going to have to be at night. If it's during the day, especially early, this is where TV can really throw a monkey wrench, I think, into the college football experience. I can say this. There was one time, most of the time when I was a student at Penn State, I was in the press box for games. This wasn't really a factor, but there was one game. And I don't remember who, even who the opponent was. I think it might have been, an, I think it might have been Nebraska, possibly, where uh, they played at noon and there was like a party, like a kegs and eggs party. And that was to at 730 in the morning to have a plate of eggs and, and be trying to tap into a keg. That is a business trip. And either like that, that's a work day to try to get, you know, like it's not natural, I think. So I do think the late, the late kick, you know, feeds into that atmosphere so much in addition to the, you know, the contrast of, of, of the black sky versus the white crowd to not have that. I mean, you're not going to have either one of those things. And it, it doesn't sound like Fox is going to be in a position to even budge on that noon kick, even if they wanted to, because there's, it's tentatively a World Series um, date as well. Yeah. And just, just so we're clear on, on your description there, even to this day, kegs and eggs at 7 a.m., that's like a Sunday like go-to for me. So I don't know what your college experience was, but I, I do that after most Penn State games now. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you're right, <laughs> and 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 it's. I think what you left unsaid, Justin, is a lot of the students at Penn State are just probably getting in from bars uh, and have had a chance to maybe sleep for about ninety minutes if they want to. They want to get to that seven a.m. Uh, breakfast experience, and that is what I think makes it super hard. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll be, I mean, nothing is really etched in stone in any of this stuff yet, but all the writing is on the wall for some kind of tough decision uh, when it comes to the Penn State whiteout. We'll track it. Uh, we'll keep an eye on all these things. We're your source for this info. This is, this is for all the latest on kegs and eggs. You got to come to the blue white breakdown. I would have liked to seen you at Penn State when you had a couple when you had a, a, a maybe a free uh, week, a free like a free Friday night or a free Saturday night, your younger self, I'm sure that would have been an experience for a lot of people to see as well. You think I'm idiotic now? <laughs> Just picture me, picture me 21 and drunk. How about that? Is that the Duncanon in you coming out? That's, I, I I got a lot of Duncanon still in me. It's the Cove, Cove, Perry County, Duncanon. It all it all comes out. Don't apologize for it. Embrace it. I never will. For more interesting conversation about uh, redneck drinking habits and, and early morning booze fests, you have to stay tuned to the Blue White Breakdown, your source for kegs and eggs moving forward through the 2022 season. That's Bob Flanders. I'm Dustin Hawkins. But be sure to join us on future Blue White Breakdown. You can do that anywhere podcasts are found. And you can find all our other work at penlive.com slash football. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on the Blue White Breakdown. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.